Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. Is your business or organization safe from a cyber attack? And more to the point, could you recover from one? We talk to an IT specialist and the insurance industry for a reality check on just how bad cyber attacks have become. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Every day we read the headlines about another company being hacked or cyber-attacked either in the US or somewhere else in the world and think it couldn't happen to us. But the reality is that it can, and whether you're an individual user using your smart device or a company with multiple employees, using computers in the office or at home, or even a local municipality housing local residents' data, everyone is a target. So why aren't we taking cybersecurity more seriously, when globally every day around 30,000 websites are hacked and 64% of companies worldwide say they have experienced at least one form of cyber attack, and it's not just financial or information attacks that are happening. It's also on the infrastructure we rely on too, like electricity and energy suppliers and even our water and wastewater companies. As the U.S. federal government ups its cybersecurity budget to a staggering $11 billion, shouldn't we also be thinking more about our own cyber protection? I caught up with IT specialist Trav Harmon of Triton Technologies, who provide managed IT services for companies as well as cybersecurity, and Scott Burns, Vice President, Professional and Management Liability at Excess Specialty Brokerage, to find out the latest from an IT and insurance industry perspective. Trav and Scott, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. Good to be here with you, Brian. Trav, I want to start with you first, obviously, because you know the, you're the IT guru, as it were. How serious is sort of like cybersecurity these days, and are we taking it seriously enough? It is incredibly serious, and we are nowhere near as serious as we should be, and that is very disappointing in the business realm and as a user of some services. It is. We're just not where it even remotely needs to be. And what are some of the big issues at the moment? Because we often see things in the media, you know, like local municipalities, you know, getting hit by phishing or some sort of cyber attack. So what are some of the big things that are happening at the moment that people sort of really need to be aware of? One of the really big things is the gangs are no longer being passive. They're no longer just sending out emails with bad links and hoping you click on it and you have admin rights to your network. And it entirely gets compromised. Now they're actively seeking out targets of significant financial opportunity. So large corporations that have very good cybersecurity, some training, and you know are generally okay, are now being specifically targeted because they either got an inkling that the bank account is huge, and so they're trying everything possible. So, and a lot of people go, "Well, I'm a small business." It doesn't matter. Your bank account's big enough, they will target you. And we're seeing that more and more often. And we're talking, as you say, about businesses of, of all sizes as well. I mean, we again hear in the media every now and again about, you know, major corporate organizations being hit and, 
you know, hundreds of thousands of people's data being affected. But um, you were saying as well, you know, it's it's the small to medium businesses that also need to to understand it, but also municipalities as well. And I bring up municipalities because I covered with you recently a situation with regards to the town of Plainfield in Connecticut, which suffered a cyber attack. It's cost them so far that they've reported over $350,000 to correct the situation. They caught out because of legacy systems, which seems to be a typical thing with municipalities that they just don't seem to update their IT. Correct. And legacy systems present their own challenges, and they, a vast majority of them have some kind of an exploit, uh, coupled with the fact that the general public controls the purse strings and the fact that many of them are not understanding of the threat. When a person comes along and says, we need these solutions, this product, and this stuff to be up to date in order to meet compliance and security, it gets shot down. And then we're in the exact position we were at where it's been compromised. And what would have been a Twenty, thirty, fifty thousand dollar fix is three hundred, five hundred million dollars to fix. We see that happening all the time. There is ways to mitigate the threat of legacy and unsupported systems, but it takes time and approval and a little bit of money, and a lot of people just don't even do it that way. But it's also an attitude as well, as I think that we still, even in this day and age, and we all use so many sort of like electronic devices, that it's it's really an attitude thing, isn't it? It's like, well, it won't happen to me. And of course, that, that just isn't true. That's correct. It happens. There are multiple layers of malware out there. One from the simple drive-by download, which is, you know, a bad malware link. You click on it, which are very prevalent, still out there by the billions, literally, but they're getting sophisticated in different levels. They begin actively targeting or they go for targets of opportunity. But yes, uh, from a single individual to multinational corporations, very large international IT provider based in New Jersey just announced yesterday they got hacked and they have over 5,000 employees. Luckily, their mitigation team was able to isolate out the network. But to know how to isolate out the network, how to mitigate the threats, you, you have to spend a little money for people who do know. And municipalities are, you know, penny short, pound foolish, you know, you get the term. And so they don't want to spend 20,000 if they don't have to. And when I tell people that cybersecurity went from a want to a need, it's still at a loss for people. And so it becomes a, it comes a more of a psychological of trying to tell people this is very important. And if you don't, your information is going to be presented out there and no one's going to come to help us. And that, that is the biggest hurdle I see. The other thing as well, and I'll get to Scott in just a second, Scott, thanks for bearing with us. I just want to mention one more thing to you, Trav, is that I think, you know, as individuals as well, clearly it is our responsibility to look after, you know, our personal data, but also I think we should be voicing as well our concerns to maybe our municipalities and, you know, into other organizations to find out what it is that they're doing by way of protecting our data, because more and more of our data, of course, is being put, you know, in the cloud, it's being, it's electronic, it's therefore more accessible to a wider audience, therefore more accessible to, you know, cyber terrorists. Should we be also, as I say, as individuals, pressing organizations, pressing our local, as I say, municipalities and saying, what do you have in place and how are you protecting me? Yes. Uh, In fact, you should be very forceful. It is your right to know who houses your data and they don't have to get to the ultra specifics. They can give you a, a summary because you're considered, you know, the general public. But yes, you should be able to press your rights and say, I would need to know how my data is stored. Where is it stored? 
What is the method it's stored in? And have you gone through any internal penetration testings or external penetration testings? If you work with the Department of Defense, you have ITARS requirements, meaning I need to make sure my data is within the control of the United States government or within the country. And that declaration is made by every one of our vendors. That being said, as a citizen, you should be able to do the same thing. Where's my data stored? How have you gone through the testing? And if they uh, are not compliant, you have you should have the right to remove your data and put it in a more safe manner or a, a manner that is in compliance with the law. A lot of people don't realize there is an actual there. Are, every state has a law, and all the colonies have a law to protect your data. How it's enforced? That's a different uh, d- different discussion. Scott, I want to bring you in, obviously, as uh, Vice President of Professional and Management Liability Excess Specialty Brokerage. The insurance industry, of course, is dealing with this. You know, they get hit by themselves. And when I say hit by themselves, not only can the insurance industry be targets of cyber attacks, but also, of course, you know, you're writing policies, you're looking after the risk of organizations. How big a problem has it become for the insurance industry? Brian, thanks. Thanks for asking. Cyber insurance as a whole has changed so substantially over the past two years, primarily because these insurance companies have just been walloped by claims. And that's, you you touched on it earlier, it's small businesses, it's medium-sized businesses, and it's, of course, the large businesses and municipalities that we see in the news. But primarily, these claims are driven by small and medium-sized businesses. So from my standpoint, as a broker who who negotiates cyber insurance deals, the real challenge is finding ways so that we can get our insureds the proper coverage when often that can be pretty challenging when it comes to a lack of controls, a lack of security, a lack of IT team. It's it's a really, it's been a moving target for us. So how can you give us a sense of, you know, what the industry, what the insurance industry is starting to do with regards to requirements of you know, people who want the insurance, because we're all used to having what they call endorsements on our policies, which basically says what you will or what you won't cover or what is expected of us. So I'm guessing that that is becoming much more of an issue. And, you know, when it comes to, you know, cyber insurance, cybersecurity insurance and, you know, insurance companies saying, hey, yeah, of course, we'll cover you, but you need to start doing this. Sure. Yeah. So uh, to give you a good example, like two years ago, to evaluate a risk, underwriters would really look at two or three things. The class of business it's in, sure, municipalities or healthcare or um, a contractor. And then basically rate on two different things, the number of records they held and their revenue. And controls and security were, were things that you know were really not taken into consideration. Over the past two years, we've seen such a substantial change in underwriting practices. And from where we sit, it's things like multi-factor authentication. It's endpoint encryption. It's do we have IT training that goes on with the, with the staff? It's things like funds transfer fraud conversations where, you know, confirmation that you do pick up a phone call, pick up the phone and make a phone call whenever you're asked to wire money. These are some of the things that have really, really changed over the past couple of years. Now, all of the insurance companies, well, not all, but many of the major players are running a scan on the insured's website in any website that the insured controls. And they're able to see if the insureds have some of these controls in place. And if they don't, email filtering is another real driver of, of how risks are being underwritten today. The other thing as well, Scott, I suppose, for the insurance industry is, and, and, and Trav mentioned this, is that 
you know, every state, although they do have sort of like laws, etc., every state, of course, is different as to one, what the laws are, what the requirements are. I mean, here in Connecticut, uh, you know, it's a little bit different to Massachusetts, as in the reporting requirements, you know, the actual amount of days. You know, it's an already complex situation. And I, and I know that stands for other insurance products as well. But I'm guessing it just, you know, makes that even more complex when, you know, insurance companies are then having to look at each individual state and saying, okay, well, now, you know, not only do we want our insurance to do this, but of course, under that particular state law, they're required to do this as well. It's it's something that I, I cannot fathom as a business owner that I would be capable of, of doing, right? Running a business and then understanding complicated laws for every state where I, I have a business client. It is something that is just, uh, I just can't comprehend it. These laws are constantly changing. They're constantly moving. And for somebody who's a, a small business owner or, or medium or even a large business owner to understand where the laws are for each state that they trade in is just it's it's laughable honestly is this a case as well scott that you know when it comes to insurance you said obviously it's a it's a constantly moving situation here and we understand that but the insurance industry is prepared to sort of like provide coverage, even if it endorses certain things out. Because I mean, I'm guessing at the end of the day, it just comes down to money and how much premium is going to be charged and whether or not, you know, that customer is able to afford that premium. You know, I work in what's called the excess and surplus lines world, where in theory, anything can be underwritten for price. I will tell you, there are moments where, you know, more now in my than at any point in my career where I'm saying to an insured, hey, this is going to be a really tall task to find you coverage because either a lack of controls in terms of security, a high record count, or an unwillingness to make changes to controls for whatever reason, or a lack of budget. You know, we're seeing things like ransomware sublimits put on policies or co-insurance clauses come into effect now where that was never a case three, four, or five years ago. You know, so this is all as claims are driving and trending up, which they absolutely are, insurance covers are being restricted because these insurance companies and uh, one, one thing that I would just add as you are answering, if, you, if you're a small business owner and you do see questions on an application and you do see things like, hey, do you have these? They're asking those questions because they know insureds who do not have them are so substantially higher, like more like have a claim occurred. So those are things that, you know, when you're asking, getting asked a question about um, multi-factor authentication or email filtering services, these are important questions and questions you might want to talk to with your IT team. Indeed. Trav, we're going to get back to you because obviously that is the heart or part of, you know, the business that you actually do, which is manage services. And those services are obviously multifold. Just give us a sense of some of the things that have been happening, you know, with your clients, you know, what sort of, are they getting those questions as well? You know, that Scott's just been saying. Well, they're getting more and more extreme. Prime examples, we do a lot of Department of Defense manufacturers, and they have extreme strict uh, protocols that need to be implemented by this October. On top of that, luckily, most of those clients that comply with that have no problem signing off for insurance because they meet or way exceed any of the insurance requirements, such as even how the desks are placed, make sure screens aren't even looking at the window so nobody can do that, make sure that communications cameras on phones are obscured, that kind of stuff. But as for small businesses, yes, luckily, 
a lot of the manufacturers like Microsoft, Apple, and so forth do require multi-factor authentication for all new products and new services going forward. Now, a lot of people go, so is that like when you receive a text on your phone? No, that's actually two-factor authentication. People have learned to hack Android phones and iPhones and even iCloud and redirect those keys. And those uh, six-digit codes or eight-digit codes usually only have a one-minute lifetime And that's all you need. That's all you need to penetrate a network is to get that code one time. And so now we're going to even more secure, even uh, doing internal audits, uh, testing out the security services to make sure it works, and then to report into them like this helps with compliance. And I don't approach it as a bad thing. I approach it as a good thing when I tell these people that, you know, it's going to take $15,000, but use it as a selling point to your clients. You're a small CPA you've got five employees, this is how you can tell your people that uh, your, your clients that you're safe working with you guys and to, to continue services. And that's how I approach it. Don't think of it as a bad thing or liability, but this helps you stay secure, keeps your client information secure and keeps your business up and running. And it's not hard to comply with. It's just, you got to take the leap and implement the right solutions. Let me put this question to you, Trav. I mean, so many of us now work from home. Uh, COVID obviously so like put a stop to the world and therefore a lot of people were forced to create like home offices, start working from home, started using maybe desktop or laptop computers, which were either theirs. I'm guessing that's caused a bit of a problem as well, because again, not everyone is a, a computer expert, far from it. Many of us aren't. We know how to turn it on and how to use it. But, you know, knowing to make sure that there's a firewall on there and, and, and any others like security sort of like requirements is probably beyond a lot of individuals. And has that created a problem for some companies as well? Yes, it has, because a lot of people were under the impression that if nothing is broke, you don't have to change it. That's actually complete, that's the complete opposite now, or the old mentality was, we'll just rescind security or rights as we need to. That's now flipped on its head. Now it's gone from top down, not bottom up, is you are given just enough permissions on your computer to access and do your job, not the opposite of we'll just restrict you. And trying to tell people this and and convey it is hard. So what I tell people is, as a managed IT provider, we're going to come in with a plan, implement the plan, show your people how to use the computers more safely and securely, and and then we'll continue uh, monitoring your networks going forward. A lot of people don't know what to do, how to do it, or they try to do it on the cheap, and I have yet to see it succeed. I really have not seen it. And even between MSPs, like I'm a managed service provider, there is a difference. Some people are very passive until something happens. We are actually very aggressive. And so those little things make a big difference. But just like any other industry, I don't do my own taxes. I hire a CPA. I don't, you know, I don't do uh, my own car maintenance. I go to a mechanic. Go to a provider who actually does this and you'll save a lot of headache. You'll spend money, but it'll be a lot less money if you try to do it yourself. Very wise words there. And Scott, I just want to give you the final word um, as we close down the interview on this occasion. What final comments have you got, uh, you know, for people listening from the insurance point of view? You know, from where where I sit, I I just don't know how, if you own a business or if you're in charge of a business, that you can consider operating without cyber insurance and proper IT controls. You know, at one point, general liability and most policies for most insurers is the backbone of their insurance program. I will tell you, cyber breaches close doors. Cyber breaches are 
substantial enough where they can put businesses out of business. You know, for me, having the proper controls and the right IT team in place with a comprehensive insurance program is just a must have these days. Yeah, it's one of those things that, you know, whenever we think about insurance, people go, oh, well, you know, I don't need it. But uh, it's almost as if it needs to be mandated, doesn't it? Like certain other insurances, you know, in the country so that, uh, you know, if you do run a business, sadly, it's just going to have to be part of your operating cost, but it's going to protect you and your business and your clients ultimately at the end of the day. Absolutely. Well, Scott Burns, Vice President, Professional and Management Liability for Excess Specialty Brokerage and Trav Harmon, CEO of Triton Technologies. It's been a pleasure talking to you. We've only just scratched the surface of what is an incredibly important topic. I'm sure we will be coming back to it. But in the meantime, thank you both for your expertise and for being on the podcast. Thanks so much, Brian. Thank you. Looking for a fast, friendly, and convenient local pharmacy? Then try the Nutmeg Pharmacy Group with five convenient locations in eastern Connecticut. We're a full-service pharmacy supplying COVID vaccinations, prescription service, gifts, cards, and more, plus free local delivery. And it's easy to transfer to Nutmeg Pharmacy. Let us show you how. Find our contact details for our Higginham, Centerbrook, Moodis, Taftville, and New London stores online at nutmegpharmacy.com. The warmer weather is here, and it's time to give your plants some health care. From mulching to aeration to growth regulator, remedial and preventative treatments against fungus, as well as insects like the spotted lanternfly and gypsy moth. Don't be reactive, be proactive, and keep your trees and plants in tip-top condition to avoid long-term health problems. Find more details about plant health care services. Call 860-234-4041 or visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com. Time now for a look at some of the other stories making the headlines in the region recently. Two months after a May deadline for bids to buy Deer Lake in Killingworth and negotiations continue between the owners, the Connecticut Yankee Council, part of Boy Scouts of America, a developer and a non-profit as to its future ownership and the price tag for the land. But whatever the outcome, the new owner may have to contend with an outstanding lawsuit filed by David Stevenson of Madison asking to protect a bird sanctuary on the property and stop the land being developed. Keith Ainsworth is an environmental lawyer and Stevenson's attorney and says despite the Yankee Council legal team refuting his client's claims, the lawsuit will go ahead. In this case, we're asking the court to declare whether there is a public trust in a dedicated bird sanctuary at Deer Lake. As a result of the Boy Scouts of America, a charitable organization, having dedicated a bird sanctuary in the name of Richard English, who was a generous donor to the Boy Scouts. Deer Lake hit the headlines earlier this year when the Yankee Council put the property up for sale and initially accepted a multi-million dollar bid from a property developer who is also one of their board members. Ainsworth says that situation prompted an investigation by the Attorney General's office, which is also still ongoing. They were looking into the propriety of the charitable organization selling the property to a board member, an insider, as a IRS 501c3 charitably deductible, tax deductible organization, there's a public aspect to their operations and private benefit to an insider is something that the Attorney General's office enforces. Ainsworth says the Yankee Council has missed their opportunity to have his client's lawsuit dismissed and if successful, a clause will be put into the land deed stopping any future owner from developing the land beyond its current use. 
Three Rivers Community College and their foundation has formalized the endowment of the Drs. Booker T. and Elena L. Devon Scholarship. Dr. Mary Ellen Joukowsky, president of Three Rivers, explains why they did it. The Booker Devon and his wife Elena created this scholarship to honor the legacy of enslaved Black African Americans in the United States. And this endowed fund creates a longstanding, reliable funding source for students in the greater Norwich community to pursue their educational dreams. Dr. Booker Devon is a former president of Three Rivers Community College, and both he and his wife come from a background of giving back to the community. Betty Bellagen is the college's director of institutional advancement and said the new endowment adds to the foundation's $7 million fund already under management, which helps change people's lives. It's really a game changer for so many of our students who either are self-pay or even students that do receive financial support. Sometimes that support just isn't enough in terms of their book or other educational expenses that they need. So we're really that bridge. We're really helping students also continue their education. The foundation supports a number of initiatives that really help students through the winter and summer seasons to continue their educations. The Devon said the creation of the endowment was something they both held dear to their hearts, allowing underrepresented African-American and black students to achieve their educational goals. The Connecticut National Guard's 169th Regional Training Institute has been conducting Army Combat Medic Battalion Aid Station training in East Lyme recently. Guard students were completing their third and final phase of their combat medic transition course, which will grant them the U.S. Army military occupation specialty of 68 Whiskey Combat Medic. Sergeant First Class Megan Orthea heads the training and says it's made as realistic as possible for the students. So we try to simulate it as much as possible. So we do provide sort of war sounds in the background. The helicopter does help provide that realism as well with the, the dust storm that it sort of kicks up and the noise that occurs. All, again, for the sake of trying to get as close to realistic as possible to ramp up those stressors that a medic may encounter in, in a real theater of operations. Regina Farrington from Colchester is one of the students and in her everyday life is an ER and cardiac ICU nurse and explains the differences between the two. In the hospital, of course, we have imaging, we have blood products, we have medications, extensive medications, but what we're doing and what we're being trained to do is to take care of emergent and urgent life situations that are ultimately life-threatening and a multitude of the injuries that are sustained in the battlefield are things that we're taught to combat and help them sustain life so they can continue on to get out of here. The students face realistic scenarios in the training with pyrotechnic devices simulating explosions, war sounds to amp up the stress, and transferring patients to land and air ambulances. New London, Connecticut residents of colour have been sharing their stories of racial justice past and present for a multimedia performance that was held recently at Connecticut College in the city. Voices Across Generations Race in New London is a collaboration with New York City-based theatre company Houses on the Moon. 19-year-old New London native and Dr. Martin Luther King scholar Kayla Marie Mateo is one of 20 local participants and says sharing stories with everyone was a great experience. Just hearing legacies in this room daily 
Ridley and Connecticut College, I get to just be an advocate and be a witness to what Dr. King did and installed in, in society and what he installed in the communities of New London and what he installed in communities in Birmingham and what he installed in communities in New York and, and truly all over the world because he truly revolutionized how we speak and how we interact with each other today. Lead facilitator from the Houses on the Moon Theatre Company, Miles Gross, says despite perceived changes in society for people of colour, listening to the participants' stories have shown many things remain the same. To hear someone say years ago they were the only person of colour in a classroom and felt uncomfortable, were discriminated against, and then for someone to tell a story that took place 60 years later and tell the exact same story is exactly why something like this needs to be done. The participants were aged from 16 to 80 and interviewed each other about personal stories on racial themes from as far back as 60 years that still resonate today. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at Connecticut-East.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East this week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand and by asking your smart speaker to play Connecticut East this week podcast. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott Smith. Thank you for listening.